All right, 2 Corinthians. Immediately after 1 Corinthians. So we'll do 2 Corinthians? Yep. 13 chapters. And so some of this is obviously a pickup from 1 Corinthians. Right? <clears throat> they are two separate letters separated by a, a span of time. They are written by the Apostle Paul, um, and they are written to the church in Corinth. And we talked a little bit about the church at Corinth last time and their characteristics. Major metropolitan area, think New York City and Vegas all in one. Think a very uh, sinful place, very idolatrous place, a lot of idols. Think a place that is full of earthly wisdom, celebrates Greek wisdom. Um, and it is a letter, right? It is another epistle. And so we have the standard function of, or standard format, rather, of a letter, the greeting, the body, and the conclusion. And so let's jump in with our greeting. Would someone like to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, in a very loud and authoritarian and British accent? <laughs> Anyone? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for our consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, uh, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Thank you, Roger. You're a good sport. <laughs> I was about to read it with my best British accent. Uh, <laughs> he would not have been able to contain himself. Um, there are plenty of seats up here, Menzel's, you know. Oh, I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> All right, so as Roger read for us the introduction and the, the greeting, um, we see, of course, Paul identifying himself as an apostle. What's an apostle? I always forget. Sent one. Sent one. Yes, someone who has been sent. Apostle of Jesus Christ, right, by the will of God. And there's, uh, who else do we see? Timothy. Timothy. Timothy might be writing this letter for Paul. He might just be hanging out with Paul. And who's he writing to? It says in verse 1. The church, yeah, the church at Corinth with all the saints and those who are in Achaia, right? Um, and he's giving them grace and peace from God our Father. What other things do we see in that, uh, that first section, maybe from 3 through 11? What other things is he conveying to them or hoping for them or calling out he mentions that God is the father of all mercies okay and God of all comfort I find those <coughs> I find those comforting yeah yeah, yeah. Roger what version do you have uh, New King James New King James okay because you had I think you said comfort and consolation I think it alternated between those two yeah. words yeah, that's good too, yeah. Yeah, it is comforting, right? It comforts us in our affliction, right? And there's a reason for that, that we might be able to comfort others in their affliction, right? With the comfort that we have received. 
right? So it's kind of a, a big circle of comfort, right? We're afflicted. God comforts us. Therefore, we can comfort others with the comfort we receive from God, and around and around it goes, right? That's the idea. Um, Paul is going to have a little bit of a defensive tone in this letter, especially when he gets into the next section. Um, they're giving him a little static because he was supposed to come visit them. And to them, it kind of seems like he just bailed. But to Paul, he's like, no, I didn't bail. Like, I had a really good excuse. Like, and so he starts to hint at that in verse 8. He's like, oh, by the way, uh, we almost died, which is why I didn't come visit you. <laughs> he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Right? In other words, like, we saw no way out. Like, the trials were so great. The persecution was so great. We didn't see any way out. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And even then, Paul the Apostle tells us why such a thing was. In verse 9, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Right? These lessons that you learn only in these massive trials. right? And we learn, of course, the reliance on God and not ourselves. Right? And he's asking them to help them through prayer. Paul then goes into a little section about, yes, uh, we did have a change of plans, right? Uh, we did want to come to you, and we will come to you. He had visited them once when he planted the church on one of his missionary journeys, and then he's been off doing other things, planting churches and going on other journeys, and he was going to come back. But just uh, 2 Corinthians is, is a little bit confusing in the sense that there's letters, there's visits, there's things that he's talking about. So just to kind of give some, some basic background, right? Before 1 Corinthians, there was an original letter that Paul sent which he references in 1 Corinthians, which is gone. We don't have that, right? Um, they wrote him a letter then with some questions based on his, that letter, right? He responded to them. That was actually 1 Corinthians, as we have it, right? They responded with another letter. And there are also theologians and, and Bible nerds that say that there was a letter in between those letters, and then he responded, that letter was supposedly very strong. So Paul was supposedly very firm in this, let's call it one and a half Corinthians letter that may or may not have existed. And second Corinthians then is kind of a letter of encouragement because he heard from his buddy uh, Titus that the Corinthian church had repented. And so the things that he was being very strong about them, uh, the sins and other things that he was rebuking them, he heard that they had repented. And so this 2 Corinthians has a little bit of a more uh, a thankful tone and, and a more uh, appreciative tone. But there are some sins that still remain, and he is going to challenge them on a bunch of that. But, so, yeah, much of uh, chapter 1 um, deals with uh, his change of plans and kind of his defense there and why he did it. It wasn't something that he did willy-nilly. He actually had reasons why he didn't come visit them. Um, in chapter uh, 2, he kind of uh, encourages them to forgive the sinner. Right? Uh, in 2 verse 9, he says, For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, I've, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For why not? We are not ignorant of his designs. So you get the idea that there's still some, uh, some conflict going on, some sin, some <coughs> things that need reconciliation among the Corinthian church, and he's talking to them about forgiveness and encouraging them to forgive each other as well. There's a section in verses three, uh, chapters 3 and 4 which get more into the nature of the gospel itself. And he's celebrating the transformed lives of the Corinthians. But before that, he seems to, in the first couple of verses of chapter 3, make a pit stop into saying, Hey guys, you're doing great here, but it seems like your pride is creeping up a little bit. And so he calls them out on that. Chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? The royal we there, right? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. 
and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He's like, don't get ahead of yourself, dear guys. Let's remember how you were saved and how it happened, right? Your transformed lives are the proof, the letter of recommendation that we have. Um, so he wants them to be on the lookout for pride. And he also wants them to have confidence in the ministry of the gospel. Look at verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be minister of, ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What do you think he's going after there? Just kind of given that context that I gave a minute or two ago. So he's kind of fearing that their pride might be sneaking in again. Like self-reliance. Okay. You know, not, not realizing it's from the Lord that gives you your strength. And, yeah. And your wholeness. Absolutely. Yeah, watch out for self-reliance. Yeah. Definitely. Watch out for works instead of faith. Watch out for works instead of faith. Yeah, you start to see that, right? He talks about the, uh, not of the letter, mm -hmm. right? Usually he was talking about the letter, especially in contrast with the new covenant. Right. He's probably talking about the law, the exactly. old law. So he's like, don't, don't rely on your works and your obedience, which is something that he's beating into the ground in Romans right now. I took that different. I thought they were questioning his abilities, his because he wasn't one of the original apostles, so he was saying that his um, recommendation is actually them, mm -hmm. that because he was able to bring the gospel to them, and they believed it, that they are yes. his own recommendation. that's definitely part of it. Okay. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were questioning his authenticity okay. as, as an apostle, which is probably why he starts the letter by saying he's an apostle. Right? Flashes the badge kind of immediately. He's just like, I am actually a legit apostle, guys. So yeah, Wendy, you're exactly right. That's definitely in there as well, right? But then he encourages them, right, that, that we need to be relying on God and not ourselves, especially in the work of the church. How is this an encouragement for us when we're ministering to each other? Especially verse, what is that, 6. You know, we minister to each other. Or is that just the pastor's job? No. Right? Through the Holy Spirit we can... Yeah, 5 and 6 especially, right? Our sufficiency is from where? It's from God. Right? Every Christian is equipped with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Bible. Every Christian then is sufficient and able to minister to other Christians in some way, shape, or form. Right? Whether that's encouragement, whether that's exhortation, whether that's a challenge, right? And that's through the Spirit. The Spirit giving life. We have a hope in uh, verse 12. He says, since then, we, since we have a, a hope, such a hope, we are very bold. Right? And that's, that's what we want to do. And then he challenges them at the end of chapter 3 uh, unto holiness. He says, when one, he contrasts um, the veil that was over, like Moses, when he would go into the, the tent of the meeting to meet with Yahweh, right? That would shield him from from like uh, the presence of God, but yet now that same veil remains there for the Jewish brothers and sisters because they actually are veiled. They're, they're blocked from seeing Christ, right, as the Messiah, right? But when they come through Christ, then the veil is taken away, right? That veil spiritually then is, is over their hearts until Christ takes it away. In verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, right, seeing clearly now, access to God the Father through Jesus, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What does it mean to be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another? That's a whole lot of Bible words right there. Yeah. 
does that mean? To be transformed into the same image. What image is that? The image of Christ. Yeah, the image of Christ, right? Think of it also as maybe our Imago Dei, like our image of God, like we're, we're restoring that to its brilliance and luster. The way it was originally intended to be uh-huh. in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. So we we have, we're killing sin. We're supposed to be working on our sanctification, which is yeah. a continuing work. Yes. Justification happens once, but sanctification is something we'll be pursuing throughout our entire lives. Yep. And he says in that verse, right, that sanctification is actually progressive. Yeah. Right. Because it says from one degree of glory to another. So every time that you fight that sin, I'm not going to keep looking at Facebook on my phone every five minutes or whatever it is, right? It's like you got through a day without doing that. Chink! Like one degree. You just, you're continuing onward, right? Whatever that sin is that you're looking to kill, right? You are then being transformed, right? But you have to have the veil removed first. You have to be a believer first. You have to have the Holy Spirit. Being transformed. Yeah, looking in the mirror, it's uh, we examine ourselves in the mirror <clears throat> to see, you know, are we progressing? That's an yep. important thing. Uh, yep. To be doing. And so, sanctification is progressive, right? We know that from this passage. We know it's holiness, right? It comes by degree, degree by degree, right? Sometimes we might have radical transformations, but oftentimes, Christianity and sanctification is blocking and tackling and Day in, day out, fighting sin. No matter how radical it is, still, we're not perfect. Yep. You know, we still have this body of flesh. That yep. We live in. Yep. And, you know, there's always only one who is yeah. perfect. Yeah. The so transformation is visible. That's right. Yes. It's, it's, it's a good one. It's a visible difference. It's yeah, because he says um, one degree right. of glory. Like, we should see this glory. Like, with unveiled face. Like, just like Moses saw God's glory in some way, shape, or form, we should see the glory of being more like Christ. It's from right? the, old yeah. self, the old self That's a good one. to the new self. Yeah. yeah. It um, complete flip. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, I, and I think that that's how we can identify each other as Christians, right? Because you don't see that transformation. Sure. Uh, that's the fruit. It, uh, that, that, that's the fruit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we also can't forget that last sentence there. It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It has to happen with the Spirit. It is a cooperative work of us and the Holy Spirit. Like, we're the ones grinding out that degree, one more degree, and the Holy Spirit is the one empowering us to do that and giving us the victory. So it's a progressive work of God and man in us to make us look more like Jesus. Right, we're just the work of God alone. It's the free gift of God. Yep. Sanctification is different in that way. Exactly. Yeah, got to get the two of those right. right. It's amazing though, how God is always helping us to be more like Him. Yeah. yeah. It's like God helping us to be more like God. And yet we fight that. We just can't. <laughs> <laughs> he oh, yeah. gives us the tools, you know? Yeah. If we just work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit... You know, it's like when you're, you're parenting and you're just telling your kids to do something one way and you're just like, if they just would trust me and listen... Right, same thing. God's up there saying the same thing. If they would just trust me and listen and go along with the Spirit. That's a good point. Uh, more of Him is less of us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he talks about how the gospel works and, and how it works uh, in the hearts of unbelievers especially. Uh, look in chapter 4 and verse 4. In, in their case, right, the God of this mind has... God of this world, rather, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about there? Who's the god of this world? Lowercase g. Notice Satan. that. Yeah, Satan. Yep. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers right, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. But then what happens? Church comes along, proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Not ourselves. We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? 
And then God does what in verse 6? Let there be light. Where's that from? Genesis. 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 You can't take out the Old Testament from the Bible. I know it's weird and scary, but it's all in the New Testament, right? And Paul says, quoting directly from the creation narrative, how does that, how does the creation narrative tie into salvation? Let me keep doing this. Out of darkness into light. Okay. Out of, yeah. Okay. Because we're, we're, we're children of darkness. Yep. Until we're transformed. Transformed, and, okay. And then we become children, more, more and more children of light, and hopefully a brighter light every day. Okay, okay. Good, definitely true. Well, there's also, of course, the first prophecy of the Messiah. Okay. Genesis, right? Okay. You True. Know, so the promise is made, the first promise. Yep, yep. Think think farther back, though, in Genesis. I mean, I know in you're only in chapter 3, but you <laughs> think to chapter 1, mm-hmm. right? Well, the creation account. How does the cre- the actual creation account... Why is Paul quoting the creation account here in terms of salvation? God breathed it in. Okay. God breathed it into being. Okay, and what does he do in salvation? You're right there. To us. Yeah. Uh-huh. He makes new people. He creates new people. God's like, Paul's like, he created the whole world. That's exactly what he does in people's lives. He creates a new person. He's like, he created light. He just said, let light shine out of darkness. That's exactly what happens when somebody comes to faith. God says, you're now illuminated. You're now a new creation in Christ. Right? Like Ken said, that's justification. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. The veil is removed. You get it. You get the Holy Spirit. Right? You are a new creation, as we will see in chapter 5, right? A new creation in Christ. The whole thing, it's almost like the whole Bible says one story, right? It's, it's talking about creation, but it's creation of a new life. It's so much different than just trying to obey the law. So much different than just trying to be a nice person, go to church, whatever the religion is. No, God creates a new person completely. And so that's the, the, the beautiful testimony of the gospel and how that ties into creation as well. Um, but here isn't he talking about the faith that God put in our hearts? You know, that that's the light that shines in our hearts, essentially is the belief sure. that God placed there, the knowledge that, that all this is true and that we are saved through faith in Christ. Yeah, it is an encouragement to the church, but he's doing that by showing how that actually worked yeah. in the first place. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's like God created life right, yeah. on earth in Genesis right. and he creates and he life created, in your hearts. And he created the faith in us. Yep. He created it all. Yep. Yep. Okay. And that of course is going to power them through trials. He talks about that in uh, the rest of chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Do not lose heart starting in verse 16, right? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hold on. I just thought he said in chapter 1 that he almost died. Yeah. That's a light and momentary affliction? Well, in the whole perspective, Paul has you know, seen the whole yeah. thing. So Paul understands it yeah. as a light and momentary Light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Shout out to C.S. Lewis. Beyond all comparison, right? As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient are the things that, and the things, things that are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right. So the so compared to eternity. Yep. You know, it's just a little blip. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, that's it. That's the word. <laughs> sorry. sorry, a little blip. Right on. Yeah. There is something in here. Um, this is a very encouraging verse, right? Because I believe this verse is showing us, because it says uh, the light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So there seems to be something that's relative with um, the the nature or the extent of our affliction, right, prepares for us maybe even a greater weight or a greater capacity, right, for appreciating what's waiting for us in heaven, Mm -hmm. right? So I really believe that the people that go through extensive suffering in this life are going to have an increased capacity in heaven 
to then uh, see this weight of glory that's beyond all comparison, right? We look to people who struggle with chronic illness and, and other things, right? Um, they do their suffering here, and, and as they remain faithful, right, it's preparing for them an eternal weight that's beyond all comparison, right? So there's, there's no suffering that's meaningless. And I really believe this passage is actually teaching us faithfulness in the midst of suffering is only uh, increasing your rewards in heaven. <coughs> when yours says preparing, mm-hmm. yep. Okay, I have achieving. Okay, even better. Okay, so for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal life. Okay, so it's like meaning preparing. Yeah. Suffering is not meaningless, right? For a host of different reasons. One of which is, of course, God uses it to grow us and shape us and challenge us, like Paul said, to get our eyes off ourselves and on him. Mm-hmm. But also, we're eternal, eternal rewards. They're preparing a weight of glory that's beyond comparison. So it's great encouragement for us when we suffer. And therefore, he segues into uh, talking about the heavenly dwelling, what that's going to look like, the hope of heaven being always of good uh, good courage, good boldness. And then he kind of turns the corner in the back half of chapter 5 into <clears throat> reconciliation, where he's going to park for a while. Um, therefore, right, he has a big therefore. I don't know who did the chapter and verse breakouts back in the second century or whenever that was, but I think they messed up. I think this should be in chapter 6, but... Whatever. Um, He says, therefore, so he drops a big therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Right? So he's like, okay, so there are people that need need to be told about the gospel. And if he's talking about reconciliation too, of course, the biggest reconciliation is between us and God through Christ. But I don't think it's, it's excluding reconciliation with each other. Right? The whole kind of background of this is conflict in some way, shape, or form in Corinth. And so there's a ministry of reconciliation that is because we're reconciled to Christ, we should be also reconciled to each other. Right? And again, we're not commending ourselves, he says. Right? And he brings it back to Jesus Christ. Reason being, very famous passage, starting in verse 16. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to regard no one according to the flesh? He says, therefore, I regard no one according to the flesh. Okay. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, right? Especially a fellow believer, right? How should we be looking at brothers and sisters in the Christ? In Christ, should we be seeing, focusing on their sin and their shortcomings and everything else, or should we be seeing them as new creations in Christ, just like we are? New creations. Yeah, that's that's where we got to start, right? But what a beautiful verse, of course, 17, right? Anyone is in Christ, again, hearkening back to Genesis, he's a new creation. 17. The old is gone, the new has come. This is not behavior modification. This is not self-help. It's not (coughs) self-improvement. This is a brand new person. Brand new heart, brand new spirit. The old one is dead, the new one has come, and Christ has done that because of the reconciliation. Therefore, in verse 20, he says, We're ambassadors for Christ, Making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, we see words uh, in verse 11 like persuade. Uh, In verse 20, appeal, uh, implore. What kind of things 
do words like that convey? Persuade, appeal, implore. So we have a job of old to perform. Okay. And it's a ministry. Okay. Yep. That we are to persuade others. Okay. Appeal. <coughs> that's God has built us. And implore. Yeah. Take it seriously, not half-hearted. Yeah, take it seriously, not half-hearted, definitely. Right? There's kind of a difference between conveying information, right, and persuading, imploring, appealing, right? Like Vicky said, we would take that seriously, right? We're, we're God's ambassadors, right? God making his appeal through us. Think about that, that we are the vehicles that God uses to make his appeal to others to what? Be reconciled to God. Please. Think about this, right? We implore you, be reconciled to God, right? Because, look at what Christ did. Christ, who was not a sinner, had no sin in him, God made him like sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. <coughs> Beautiful foundational verse there for the deity of Christ, for the perfection of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the work of Christ. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, we traveled through some pretty famous verses there in chapter 5. Any other things resonating in your... You know, for new Christians, this is heavy-duty stuff uh -huh. that he's writing back to them. Yep. I mean, it's <coughs> heavy-duty stuff. I yeah. Mean, but he's giving them the why. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. is so cool. Yeah. Uh, he's giving them the how, the kind of how it works behind the scenes, right? God creating you as new creations and right, the, the encouragement to press on. I think like to your verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight, so we are confident and satisfied. Yeah. You would think they would probably, Definitely. probably took this letter and, 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 and continued to study it and, and, and refer back to it. Oh, and, sure. And discuss it and, yeah. you know, and, and, and yeah, to come back to it and yeah, definitely. The idea of reconciliation, though, is, is huge. There was one, one author who said, never mention the cross without mentioning what it means, which is reconciliation. The idea that sinners are reconciled to God through faith in Christ Jesus. Right. And then it says, this kind of sets up in chapter 6, a paradox of the Christian life. Um, if we jump down to chapter 6, maybe verse 8, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown but yet well known, as dying but behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. What's that contrast? What's that paradox that he's painting there? Just regular culture, the, you know, like worldliness. Yep. You know, a lot of people would see poor as like not appealing. Right. You know, okay. not something that you would want. Right. How does the world see the Corinthian church? You know? Yeah, messed up. Yeah, messed up, right? He, they would definitely see them as, as poor, right? As almost dead, as being punished, right? You know, all of those things. But yet the paradox is, spiritually, they're none of those things. They're, they're the direct opposite of those things, right? And treated as imposters. But yet, they're the ones that are actually right. Because they're the ones that are holding out the truth of the gospel, right? As unknown, as like, who are those crazy Christians? You know, they're not of high status or anything, but yet they're well-known. They're known by the only one who matters, God the Father. It's dying, but we live, punished, yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, we have sorrows in this life, but there's also another side of us that no matter what sorrows we have in this life, we are continually rejoicing in spirit because of what's awaiting us and our identity in Christ. 
as poor but making many rich, right? The riches of grace and Christ in the gospel. Yet having, no, having nothing, but yet possessing everything. <laughs> it's cool, the paradox of the Christian life. You can, you can kind of sense that these people in Corinth were probably called these things by the people of Corinth, right? And yet they don't understand what the gospel has actually done for them. Great encouragement for us. It all points to the reward of eternal life. Sure. You know, it, they don't die. Yep. You know? um, yeah. Become rich, right? Uh, uh, but, but not with the uh, richness of the world, right? Yep. And um, Exactly. And having not, but everything, yeah, it's, yeah, apart from God, there, there's nothing. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it too. You could even say you could even look at it like read it like uh treat it as imposters and without Christ we are imposters. Yeah. Right? Unknown and without Christ, yes, we're still unknown by God. Yeah. Dying and yes, without Christ we're still headed for spiritual death. But with Christ, right, that's where the paradox comes in. Well, the world judges Christians with a different ruler. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like Psalm 2, right? The nations rage against God, but he laughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same goes for his people. They judge us, they don't understand it. This has a very practical consideration in chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. My translation says it's slightly different. Okay. Completing our sanctification in okay. the fear of God. Yep. Can we complete our holiness or our sanctification in this life? No. No. We can't. We can, of course, and we will. In, in glorification in, in heaven, right? But I was actually reading a book this morning, Kevin DeYoung's uh, Hole, in My, Hole in Our Holiness, which is a, a great book. Um, he's encouraging us, right? This, this degree of one gl- degree of glory from you know, one degree to another, right? The idea that we shouldn't let that discourage us and say, oh, well, we'll never be perfect in this life. No, we actually can have victory over sin. We actually can put sin to death. We actually can grow in our holiness. We actually can grow more mature. And so it's a good encouragement to not let us grow weary in the fight against sin. Like, we can put these things to death. And that's what Paul says. He's like, because of who you are, because of these promises, he's like, get holier. Like, (laughs) do it. Like, you can do it. The Holy Spirit is with you. And you're doing that in completion, or to completion in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? What, why did he tack on in the fear of the Lord at the end there? What was the question? Why did he say in the fear of the Lord? How is our, how is our fight against sin helped by the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord opens up the doors to wisdom. Yep. Know, yep. Proverbs. Yeah. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Absolutely right. Judgment. Yep. Judgment. Yeah. We should have that uh, reverence for God, right? Fear of the Lord is not just an absolute. What's that? Respect. 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 (coughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the fear of the Lord is the idea that God should be like the most important thing in our life. Right. Right. And so what he says goes far above everything else in this world. And so Mel said respect. Like God says, pursue holiness. We pursue holiness because God said so and we respect and honor him and revere him above everybody else. So yeah, he, he kind of brings that to light in there. That tacks on that little in the fear of the Lord. Um, and yet, right, we do have to say hard things to each other, but they are necessary for our growth. And so Paul kind of, kind of takes his uh, narrative voice in verse 8 of chapter 7. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, this is why some guys think that there was a letter in between these where he just kind of flamed them, 
Even if I made you grieve with my letter, uh, he says, I don't regret it. <laughs> cool, huh? I meant it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, grief produces death. What's he saying there? He kind of breaks instruction mode for a little bit and then talks about background of the letter. He says, yeah, I wrote some hard stuff and you got really upset. And I don't care. And then he kind of says, well, I kind of do care because I didn't do it to make you upset and I do love you. So I didn't take any joy in making you upset. But he says, What's, what, what came out of it? Repentance. Repentance. Yeah, it gives so the people to begin to change. Yeah. What's that? Because it, it, it starts at the beginning of them to change. Exactly. That's an important thing, though, because sometimes we need to hear difficult things. Sometimes we need a slap across the forehead, yeah. right? <laughs> slap across the forehead, and, and it's better to come from someone who cares and yep. loves us than, yep. than you know, someone who doesn't care or an enemy or something like that. You know? yep. Sounds like a parent. Sounds yeah. like a parent. Sounds like a parent. Like sounds like God. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like a parent, right? Father God. As parents, right? Yeah. I hope we didn't take delight in spanking our children. If so, that would be kind of psycho, right? Yeah. We don't take delight. It's like, oh yeah, I got to spank them and made them cry. It was awesome. I mean, that's not. <laughs> no parent thinks like that. I hope, right? But instead, you're 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 thankful when they learn the lesson, right? Yes, it hurts you. This hurts me more than it hurts you, Junior. Right. But we're doing it so that they learn, right? not to just inflict pain on them. And that's what brings Paul joy as well, because he sees that. Right? He draws this huge difference between biblical repentance or gospel repentance and godly grief. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Between gospel repentance and godly grief, did you say? Uh, worldly grief. Worldly grief. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what, what's the difference between worldly grief worldly and the Greek gospel? Like, oh, poor me, you know, yeah. like you You hit me in my forehead. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll never forgive you. And, yeah. Stock market crash. Yeah. You hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, let's, let, let's look at the bigger picture here. How dare you offend me? What? How dare you offend me? How dare you offend me with your truth? With yes. truth, yes. <laughs> safe rooms now. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go to my safe place now. Yeah. It says in verse 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. It's like, okay, so you didn't change. Like, you're just headed straight for the same sin and the same consequences of the sin that you were, which ultimately is death. So yes, I said hard words to you, but guess what? You repented. So that's what matters. Right? I think it's kind of the difference between, like sometimes with sin, are you sorry you got caught, or are you really sorry that exactly. you're in sin? Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, exactly I think that. that's you know could be the difference between real godly grief and wanting to turn and repent and change. Then, oh no, I just got caught, so I'm sorry. Yeah. But you're not changing. Right. You know. Right. Yep. Absolutely. There is a big difference between just guilt for getting caught and guilt for actual sin against God. Yeah. Uh, this should have practical considerations, he says in chapters 8 and 9, about generosity. All right? He's like, because of this, like, hey, guess what? You should be giving generously mm-hmm. to each other. Uh, chapter 9, famously, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's like, what are you worried about? God is going to, he's able to make all grace, he's going to supply everything that you need in order to do, live your life for him, right? And to abound in every good work. Amen. And so it, it's... It's vital that that translates to real, actual things like uh, generosity with others. Right? Uh, cost money, even in uh, 60 A.D. to run the <laughs> Corinthian church. Right? 
Paul still had to go on his missionary journeys, had to get on those boats. Uh, the church collected, you know, back then, the church was welfare. The church was the hospital. The church was the orphanage. They were caring for the homeless. They were caring for the babies. They were picking up the aborted babies off the streets and and bringing them, giving them abandoned. life and taking care of them. Was that? Abandoned. Abandoned babies. Yeah. Oh, well, attempted to be aborted, right? They were left out to die, right? Yeah. That was the idea. But yes, obviously they weren't picking up abortion. Aborted babies. Attempted aborted babies, right? That's what they used to do. They would just leave them out in exposure. They would just let the baby die wherever. And Christians would literally go around scooping up these babies and giving them homes. So abortion is not a new thing. I think it is, but it's not. It's definitely not. It just has a new medical name and a lot more efficiency. Um, he goes into a, a, a defense of his ministry in chapter 10. Right? He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Right? He's kind of hinting there about maybe, maybe some static that they've given him before. Like, oh, this Paul guy, when he's here, he's like Mr. Nicey-Nice. But then when he goes back to his home, he writes these flaming emails. <laughs> Like, he's like, I'm very nice when I'm face to face with you, right? But I'm bold when I'm away. Right? He makes these posts on Facebook. He makes these posts on Facebook, right? He's like, guess what? Here's the real enemy in verse 5. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take, captive every, or take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So, what's our true enemy? What verse are you reading? I'm sorry. Uh, chapter 10, verse 5. Every thought. Okay. What kind of thoughts? <coughs> Those that are Everything against God. God. Everything against God. Anything that's not for God. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So these are these are ideas, these are arguments, these are opinions, these are worldviews. Yeah. Uh, we can think of plenty of them that are around in 2023 America, yeah. right? LGBTQ, any anti-God worldview, any wokeness, CRT, false theology, progressive Christianity, prosperity gospel, any other version of false teaching, right? All of that. I was like, those are our opponents, right? So he's kind of saying, hey, back off me. Like, <laughs> we've got some actual opponents and their ideas, right? And so when, even when we're engaging with people on an apologetic level or uh, evangelistic level, we've got to remember we're not at war with them. We're at war with their ideas. Right. Right? So we're out to persuade right. and appeal and compel, right, people to think about their worldviews, that these are completely opposite of a biblical worldview. And that's what we have, that's our mission, right? We want to destroy arguments. We want to, we want to dismantle them in light of the worldview that the Bible gives us. Um, what else did he say? There was some other thing I wanted to... Oh, in verse 10, he, he gives another... Uh, Another kind of shout-out to some of the flack he's gotten from them. He says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. Brutal. What? That's brutal. Isn't it? His public speaking is despicable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's kind of brilliant, because Paul's like, I hear the smack talk. Like, I know, what, I know yeah. what they're saying about me. Yeah. I get it, you know? And Paul, from tradition, supposedly was a small man, kind of ugly. Like, you know, people were like, who's this guy? Like, he probably maybe think he had an eye ailment, which we're going to get to maybe in... in uh, he hints at it in chapter 12, but it's also in Galatians where he talks about you would tear out your own eyes for me. Right? So maybe some guys think that his ailment, his bodily affliction, right, his thorn might have been an eye ailment, so he might have had like crazy cross-eyed 
eyes were something, I don't know, speculation. But he wasn't much to look at. And in the terms of Greek wisdom, they were like, who is this hack? You know, who is this? What is he preaching? Christ crucified? Where's the wisdom in that? Yeah. Right? And he's like, and when he's here, so when he's here, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. But then he goes home and writes these epic letters. It's like, he's like, I, I hear what they're saying about me. But um, chapter 11, he talks about, yeah, there are actual some false apostles that are out and about, and we need to be aware of them. The back half of chapter 11, he's like, uh, guess what? Like, I've had my share of suffering here. And he goes into this narrative uh, starting in, in chapter 11, maybe in verse 20, second half of verse 20, whatever whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, right? Here's me, dumb old Paul, right? I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Yeah, so am I. Are they Israelites? Yeah, me too. Are they offspring of Abraham? Yep, servants of Christ. I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman, right? With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Trivia, why did he get 40 lashes minus one? 40 was death, but also Paul was a Roman citizen, and so you couldn't actually... Give couldn't actually give him the full brunt of it. So he got as close as possible, so they gave him 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, which means hit with rocks. Just want to be clear there. Okay. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Ugh. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, at sea. Danger for brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So why would he be boasting about all this stuff? Aha! Uh-huh. Very true. Why do you think he's boasting it's about all this resume. stuff? It's his resume. What would the world around him think? Like, he's already saying, I'm talking like a madman, right? Would the world think this is anything to boast about? No, you would hide all this stuff. You don't even know anybody how weak you are and everything you've been through and all the punishments and all who of that stuff. Who wants to hear all that stuff anyway? Yeah, who wants to hear all that stuff anyway? You make yourself out to be a superhero. Paul's making himself out to be this loser who gets beat up all the time and you know gets shipwrecked and nearly killed. And that's Think about the Greek wise mind. They're just like, this guy's... What is he talking about? Who cares about any of that stuff? It's just proving how much of an idiot he is. A madman, right? And verse 30 says, If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the things that show my weakness. If we boast in our weakness, who does that make look strong? God. God. And that's what he goes into with his thorn. Right? Right into the thorn. Um, uh, where can we pick that up? Maybe verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, right? So don't forget, Paul was knocked off his horse. He was swept up, and this is where he got the apostolic charter from Jesus Christ himself. And this is where he got all the revelations, all the things that happened, got a, a major download. And to keep me from being conceited because of that, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, just name it and claim it. No, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Maybe he just didn't have enough faith. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's another paradox. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He had scribes, I think. That we were told people uh-huh. that uh, the helpers were scribing for him, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. one time he got ticked and he took the pen and he wrote big? Uh, most of the time... I don't know if he does it here, but sometimes but, but, he will say, see how I'm writing with my own hand. He, he, right? Yeah. He, yes. Yeah, sometimes at the closing. Say, 
you he know, would take the pen. Yeah, yeah, it was because of his eyes. Uh, it may Probably, have been, yeah. It may have been because of his sight. Yeah, I think that's a really good. It's, it was very common for people to use scribes and yeah, you know, note yeah. takers and stuff. Um, what is what jumps out? At, I mean, the world famous passage, right? We've all heard that. <clears throat> but even in our fresh reading and in context, what kind of things are resonating with us? About the thorn, Paul and his thorn. What do we see in the passage that's uh, hitting us? It's a messenger of Satan. Is it a messenger of Satan, or is it a gift? Yes. Well, God allowed it. A thorn was given me in the flesh. Yeah. A messenger of Satan to harass me. So, is it a gift, or is it a messenger of Satan? Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> maybe a gift to keep him humble. Yeah. Because God knew yeah. what might happen. Talk about the sovereignty of God, right? He's, he knows how the whole thing works. <laughs> he's like, I got to do this to this guy. This is, not, this is not, it's not a spiritual attack that, you know, God is somewhere else and he let his guard down and suddenly I'm being attacked, right? He doesn't need to pray, you know, spiritual uh, warfare prayers or anything like that. He knows what's going on. God has allowed this. God didn't cause it. But God allowed it. Right? But it is a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Then he goes to God how many times? Three. Three times. So he prays. Are we then allowed to go to God and plead for him to remove things from our life? Yes, we are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What if he says no? That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> what if we don't like that answer? Oh, well, we can still ask him again. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an important point, Tony. It's uh, this isn't uh, descriptive. It's not saying it, or pre- prescriptive. It's not saying three times is a limit. Well, he can say no at one point. It may not be the right time, mm-hmm. and then say yes a couple years down the road or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, but, but, but the timing does that. It yeah, may not be, maybe not yet. Correct. Yeah. Not well, now. Correct. But we see in here, is there kind of like a, a, a an acceptance from Paul? Yeah. 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 Could it also be when you have a sore in your brother and reminds you of something? Could it also be like a, you know, it would remind him of God and praying and, you know, you know well, touch sure. that part of that sore of yeah. God gave him that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he call it a charge? gift? Yeah. Did he call it? Yeah. He called it a gift. The thorn was given me in the flesh. Yep. Wait. Did he call it a gift? I don't interpret that as a gift. No, I, I, yeah. Well, he says it was given to him. It was given. So what do you? Yeah. What else do you give? But again, <laughs> well, yeah, well, he accepted it. Yeah, he did. I mean, that's how he's looking at it. A gift inherently is something that's going to benefit you, right? Does Paul think this benefits him? Well, it made him stronger. Yeah. Yeah. It says it. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't really like something you'd go looking for, right? But it was allowed in his life, and it benefited him, right? He had an answer. Uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so he says, therefore, I'm, I'm going to boast about my weakness. Because yeah. guess what? When I am weak, I'm actually strong. Yeah. Because what? Then I am not relying on myself because I don't have anything of myself left. So I'm relying on God who has limitless strength. That's mm-hmm. Well, that's a good way of looking at it as a gift. Anything that God allows into our life yeah. is technically a gift. Yes. Because if it's from God, it has to be good. It can't be anything other than Right. God. For all things work for good so. for those who love the Lord. Yep. And are called according to the <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thanks for those gifts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 But, but some yeah. people may say thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and again, right, we can we can work against that. Yeah. We can kick against the goads, to use another spiritual expression, right? It's like, okay, I got cancer. What am I gonna do about that? Like it's here. Like I could I could bemoan that fact, I could uh, rebel against God, I could turn it to sin, I could shake my fist against God, I could withdraw myself from God, or I could just work in conjunction with reality. And the fact that God is in and through all things, and He's going to bring good from this somehow. Yeah. And uh, I know there's uh, a seeing uh, on reaction to that. 
Sure. Sure. That becomes our testimony. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You you become uh, right very very uh, kind of front and center. Right. People are looking at you when you're in trial. Right. You see that a lot with well we did with our Christian elderly parents who passed away. Mm. They weren't afraid to die. They were. Yeah. They were a witness on their deathbed. Yeah. To those around them. Yeah. I'm ready to meet my maker. Yeah, I just don't want it to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> we have family that's going through a very, very difficult trial right now, but they are so bound and determined to glorify God in the midst of it. And it already is just such a beautiful testimony in that. That should be our... Our natural reaction, right, when we have a thorn in the flesh is get this away from me. <laughs> Take it out. Fix it. I'm in pain. What's wrong with you? Are you sleeping? Do you not see this? Get it away from me. And God's going, I'm at work here. You, you don't want me to do that. Like, I'm doing stuff here. Do you think, you didn't, do you think I didn't know about this? I okayed it. <laughs> I got the forms. Here it is. Here's my signature. Yeah, and there's that fine line. Did God send that to us? No, he didn't send it to us. But God works indirectly through sinful situations to glorify himself. And as Ken said from Romans 8, right, for our good, for our growth. So that we're transformed more into the image of our creator. Right? And so we can stand up and say, yeah, guess what? Bring it all on. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Right? Now, that being said, we can't be Ned Flanders' psychopaths and be like oh cool i have cancer hooray you know and we're not talking about that we're not talking about like some it hurts it's 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 hard we're allowed to read the psalms we're allowed to lament we're allowed to say this is hard we're allowed to have those moments with god where it's like why how long, oh Lord, do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you understand? We're allowed to have those moments. It, it, it'd be great because even though we have that, we're still going to, it doesn't prevent us from going up on those hills and valleys. Yep. Uh, but the eye, you're right. Uh, even through that, we, we, we have weaknesses yeah. and, and yeah. strengths. Yeah. But it, it, it's the... Um, Fellowship of the believers that helps hold us up here on earth, also. Sure. Yeah. And the witnesses. That oh yeah. When you when you're in this, when you got a thorn, like you got to be everything at your everything at your disposal for yes. grace. Yes. The church, believers, God's word, fasting, prayer, everything. Just throw everything you can at it to 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 milk it for all of the spiritual benefit you can. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that that it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And David has those moments, right, in the Psalms, but he always kind of bounces back up to the surface, right? That's fine. It's fine to have a moment. Go have a moment. Go walk in the woods and yell at God. Cool. But come back and remember who God is. You probably will have that moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And God understands that. Yeah. Totally understands that. And some of these problems are like trials and tests. Yep. Or say yeah. it's okay to be where you are, you just don't want to stay there. Yeah. When you have those moments. Yeah. Paul has a moment three times. Mm-hmm. He pleaded with the Lord. We don't get to read those prayers, but I, what, I bet they weren't uh, uh, wonderful, happy little, you know, please God. I bet he was, he was upset. You know? I bet he didn't understand it. Let's say it was his eyes. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm in the midst of missionary journeys here. I'm doing this for you, and you take away my sight? So, right? We did it once before. I was going to say, would the sight yeah. thing have been left over from being blinded initially? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's yeah. Like it's like a symbolic. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yep. Yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> chapter 13, he just does kind of a shotgun of, of uh, final warnings, right? Uh, a very potent one is 13.5. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Right? So we should be, you know, how am I doing with this? How's my sanctification? How's my dependence on the Lord? 
How am I doing with this trial? I've had to say that pastorally, you know, to people that, you know, you have this trial, it's here, and you're not dealing with it well. You're failing in the way you're dealing with this trial, right? You're working against the Holy Spirit and reality right now. <laughs> it's not going away. It's here. So let's... Some of our shock so much of the time is just like, oh, how could this be happening to me? Uh, we live in a fallen world and there's sin. But good news, God uses sin and trials to glorify himself and grow us and mature us. So let's get with the program a little bit and understand that, right? Again, not saying you don't have to have moments, but shaking your fist at God 24-7 and the woe is me is not going to help you. No. Right. Okay. Went a few minutes over there, but I thought that was worth it. This hereby concludes our midweek study. Programming TBD. We'll see what it looks like in the fall. All right. I'll pray for us. Lord, as we have done another flyover of one of your uh, inspired letters from the Apostle Paul, uh, we sense your spirit in this, uh, indeed, just even uh, reading these words again as Paul pleading with you to remove the thorns in the flesh. Uh, Lord, we've all had them, and uh, we know that we're going to have more. And so we pray that we would fix our eyes on you. We thank you so much for the reality of the gospel, that you have taken those who are dead and breathed new life into us and let light shine in the darkness and created new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, let us then be bold uh, in that faith. Let us uh, be ambassadors for you, imploring others to be reconciled to God. Let us do the work of holiness, uh, pursuing holiness out of the fear of the Lord. Um, let us be reconciled with each other. Um, let us fight false theology. Uh, let us stay true to your word. And Lord, uh, may we have those moments where we rest not in the power of ourselves, but in the power of you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.